Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 58. My name is James, and today I am joined by Daniel Blue. Daniel is a former drug addict turned entrepreneur, and he is going to talk to us about overcoming adversity and also about his organization, Quest Education. And you know me, we're going to also talk about personal things and whatever else comes up. Before we get into it, let me remind you once again that I'm going to be doing this drawing here in just a couple of days. Head to woods.blackbirdpodcast.com to win a free lifetime master membership to Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. You're also entering to win a lifetime premium subscription to this here podcast. And just for entering, you're going to get a free month to Blackbird Premium, which will get you early access to episodes, pre-show banter with the guests, and any premium written content that I've put out. Although I still haven't put any of that out. I'm still working on it. In addition to that, let me tell you once again about RU Texas, Renegade University, Thad Russell's online education platform, which I am a proud user of, is putting on a big event down at Buck Johnson's place just outside of Austin. If you're into learning from people like Scott Horton, Deirdre McCloskey, Hotep Jesus, Cody Wilson, Jack the Perfume Nationalist, a couple of those have been on this show before, but if you want to have personal one-on-one interaction with them, watch Thad Russell interview them and then also get to take part in the interview as part of the Q&A session, then definitely head over to blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas to sign up today. Once again, that's blackbirdpodcast.com slash RUTexas. And with all that being said, here is my interview with Daniel Blue. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, James. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. For sure. So we have never really interacted much. We met on this service called Podmatch, which I've been pumping to all of my podcaster friends. Um, It's actually a pretty cool service that kind of matches up podcasters and guests and podcasters who want a guest on shows and things like that. So I guess being that we're not like from the same sort of milieu, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks? Yeah, I'm a 32-year-old entrepreneur, live in Las Vegas, I'm a Forbes contributor, I just came out with a book a couple of weeks ago, hit bestseller status. So that was a pretty cool feeling. Never thought I'd actually write a book in my life, uh, especially when I was 18 years old. At 18 years old, I ended up getting a woman pregnant, got addicted to drugs and dropped out of college. So, uh, you know, just had an interesting upbringing and then uh, failed a ton in my early 20s. Um, the business I own is in the financial space. So I'm not your typical, you know, wearing a collared shirt, financial professional. Um, but, uh, you know, my purpose is impacting others. And, and we have a great way of being able to empower people um, when it comes to their finances. Awesome. So talk about how you kind of overcame that. What, what came after getting a girl pregnant and getting addicted to drugs and all that? Man, I remember like it was yesterday. I remember when I got the news, I was 18 years old. I was really heavy into Oxycontin at this time and I was making a lot of money in sales. And I remember I was on a, on a neighborhood walk um, with my daughter's mother at the time. And I just remember like it was yesterday. She's like, hey, I got something to tell you. And I had a great day, like had a bunch of sales and life was going good. At least I thought, you know, so deep down, I had a lot of issues, right? And we, we might talk about it, you know, in, in my early childhood, we all have trauma, right? We all go through shit, especially when we're kids. And a lot of times we hold on to that, right? And we don't confront it. So that was a big reason why I got addicted to Oxycontin. Um, but I just remember uh, the, 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 my mother's daughter, she's like, hey, I got something to tell you. I'm like, what's up? She's like, I'm pregnant. 
And we all probably can relate to this, but like, do you remember when you sit on a curb and like you have your knee, like on your, you have your forearm, your arm on your knee and you kind of yeah. like bury your head. I, I did that for like 30 minutes. I'm just like, dude, Jesus. my life is over. Like I'm a kid that's having a kid. Like what's going on? They make TV shows about that. Yeah, like, that's, man. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was wild. And um, I, I didn't plan on it, obviously. And uh, I wasn't ready for it obviously. Um, but I had to get ready for it. Right. Cause yeah. you know, my daughter's 12. Where were you selling back then? Uh, so I was in the real estate space selling real estate coaching. So At 18. Yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. I got, yeah. I got introduced to the call floor, the call center, you know, a bunch of setters, a bunch of closers, just a bunch of high flying, you know, cocky sales guys. Um, there were a couple badass, uh, sales, uh, you know, uh, closers that were women that were really smooth, but just sure. a bunch of testosterone, you know, dudes making a lot of money, making a lot of bad choices. And, you know, I was trying to fit in. So I made a lot of, a lot of bad choices, uh, made a lot of money too during, during those years. Yeah. My first job was selling computers at CompUSA, which was, you know, the big computer retailer back in the nineties. And yeah, I, I, I never got into drugs, thankfully, but uh, I did, I, I got into my own fair share of trouble and I'm guessing that kind of cocky sales mentality played some part in it. Do you, do you think that that mindset lends itself to like, just sort of that feeling of invincibility. Yeah. And, and you combine that with, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. So I was oh, yeah. always competitive with other people and myself and sales is all about being competitive, you uh-huh. know, going that extra mile, showing up early, you know, staying late, working weekends, right. And, and competing. So sales has been a blessing and a curse in the sense of a blessing, because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for sales, right? Like I don't have a college degree. However, people that work for me have college degrees. And I don't say that, say that to sound cocky. I say that because entrepreneurship is amazing, right? Like you're listening to this right now and, and, and maybe you don't have a college degree, but you want to start a business or you have a business. You don't need to have a college degree. And I'm not shitting on college. Like there's some good degrees out there, but that's the beauty of entrepreneurship, right? Like there's a lot of different ingredients you have to have in order to become a successful entrepreneur. One of them is the ability to sell and not just take someone's money over a credit card and, and sell them a service, but actually communicating with your team, your, your, your leadership ability, your ability to solve problems and listen more than you're speaking, relate to people, networking, like all of that is going to uh, fall into the sales category. And in my opinion, and you have to have that in order to give yourself a good shot at winning a business. Are there any entrepreneurial like gurus or whatever that you would consider sort of an inspiration or are you just sort of your own man? Man, you know, what's funny is, is like the first, so I'm 32 um, I didn't get into self-development until I was like 27, 28. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't actually intentionally get into self-development and read books a whole lot. Um, prior to, you know, 27, 28, I did read how to um, win friends and influence other people. Dale Carnegie, great book. Um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about sales and communication, like that's, uh, that's gold. So here and there sparsely, I read books. But then 27, 28, I got into the self-development uh, world. Uh, and like the first person I started to follow was Grant Cardone. Uh, but I only like maybe a year or two after a while, like he just didn't resonate with me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not here to knock on him any way, shape, or form. Obviously, he knows his craft. He's good at what he does. So, um, you know, I, I look up to other people um, at this stage in the game. I've found myself, I sort of oscillate. Sometimes it's within months. Sometimes it's several years. Between like the entrepreneur podcasts and the political podcasts, 
right now I'm, I can feel myself getting back into the entrepreneur stuff. And actually I'm sure my, my audience has noticed that there's been like an uptick in these sort of businessy topics, I guess. You, before we started recording, though, you mentioned that you got into it with one of Fauci's minions today. What what happened there? Oh man, I, I, I went into it. Yeah, man, I, I I'm probably going to piss off some people, and then I'll have other people relate to me and like, oh, he's cool. Um, so I'm just going to be myself and say, you know, the truth. So I walk into a store, and uh, you know, I didn't have a mask on, and uh, like the security guard is like, hey, you know, you got to put a mask on. And like, you know, I'm going to respect it, right? Like it's a private business. I can choose to take my business elsewhere. I realize that. Um, but if I want to step foot in this business, then they have rules. It is what it is. I don't agree with it, but it is what it is. So I put my mask on and literally like the mask is like up to here. Like it's hugging my nose, right? Yeah. It's not like hanging on my chin, right? It's 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 really up there. And uh, he's like, hey man, I need you to put it over your nose before you walk in. I was like, all right, man. So I put it over my nose. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, 73 feet away from him and my my mask is like right beneath my nose again it's not like underneath my chin or underneath my mouth it's like right like hugging my nose he's he comes over he's like hey man i need that over your nose i was like dude do you get like a commission or a spiff like for talking to me like this and policing people like this i'm like bro like dude just chill like relax and uh, so, yeah, that's why I made a joke when I talked to you earlier. I'm like, dude, he's got to be a freaking long lost cousin of Fauci. Yeah. Like, that's the only explanation. He's a descendant of Fauci. Like, I have no other explanation for that. So that exact same thing happened to me at a bar. Thankfully, like nobody. It's weird because tw- the Twin Cities are like, you know, super progressive. And like you would think that this would be sort of like mask central, but hardly anybody's wearing masks, even even during this like Delta uptick. But that, that happened to me at a bar while the mandate was still in effect. The bouncer, like literally the same thing. The bouncer came up, told me to, told me to put on my mask because I was standing at the bar, not sitting at the bar, which is just so weird because like the bar stools, you know, you're at eye level with the people sitting there. And so I did, I pulled it up. And then when he walked away, it, it kind of went down again. And uh, same thing, like he came up, he was like, man, you got to pull the mask up above your nose. I went, I don't, anyway, it was, it's all silliness. I, I, yeah, man, like it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's really tough for me, like, it's hard to me to buy into masks when Fauci, the godfather of all this, has he's actually put it in writing that these masks don't work. Like they're so, the droplets are so small, they go through a mask, right? Like yeah. he's said that on record. So why why are we wearing masks? Like I choose to focus on my health. I choose to focus on my immune system. I exercise. I get cool. sleep. I work out. Like I'm I'm taking care of other people too by taking care of myself. And if I can be in a good spot and be healthy, good immune system, then I'm, I'm taking care of other people as well. Like a mask isn't going to, you know, to me, an immune system, a strong one supersedes a mask. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not, I mean, that, doctor. right. We're not doctors, but like we, we understand common sense and we understand like history. I, I mean, it, it was, it was only uh, less than a year ago where they even started saying that masks were effective at preventing the transmission of respiratory illnesses. I don't necessarily want to get too much into COVID. I, I've got Jeremy Hammond, who's actually like a like a researcher of that kind of thing. So why don't we change the subject? So you were an addict. You were a young father. Like, how old was your kid when you started to overcome your addiction? And so let's just kind of rewind. When, when she was, I got her mom pregnant when I was 18. Okay. Ended up having her when I was 19. And I wasn't there at the hospital when she was born. So my, my daughter, Bella, yeah. came into this world and I wasn't even there. And that's supposed to be like the greatest moment as a parent, right? To be there when your child's born. I messed up and, and I wasn't there. I was too busy getting high. And I didn't, I didn't see her the next day. I didn't see her the day after. 
I didn't see her the week after. It took two weeks, man, for me to actually be in her life and see her. So I got in her life two weeks later. And I've been in the picture, you know, since then. However, when she was a month old, two months, three months old, I was still struggling, man. Like I tried to get clean. So I'm like, okay, I have a kid. Like I need to get clean, but I could not shake it. I would be clean for a day or two. And then I would resort to getting high again. Um, I actually ended up having two seizures trying to get clean. Um, I, I used methadone, Suboxone. Those are drugs that doctors prescribe you to get off of a drug, right? Like that's our that's our pharmaceutical or healthcare system. Here's a drug to get off a drug, right? Like that 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 tells you everything, right? Yeah. So like that didn't work for me. Uh, so I just kept trying to get clean and get clean, and it can it can never kick it. Um, and what finally did it is my daughter was six months old. It was Thanksgiving 2009, and I remember my my mom and my daughter were at the house. My mom was making turkey. I told my mom, I said, Hey, I'm going to go to the gas station and, and, and get a Red Bull. And, and that was a big fat lie because at that point I knew I needed to get some pills. So I start calling my drug dealer friends. Hey, I need some pills. I need some pills. They're not picking up the phone. They're not responding to me or they're too busy saying, I can't meet up with you. I'm with my family on Thanksgiving. Imagine that. So after about an hour or so, I realized like, I'm not going to get my fix. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that don't, don't know, Oxycontin essentially is heroin in the form of a pill, right? So if you don't take the pill, just like heroin, when you start to physically get sick, you get withdrawals, right? You start getting chills, sweats, you start throwing up, right? Like all the flu-like symptoms, right? So I knew what was coming, right? I, I didn't have the pills at that point in time. I was going to get it that day. I was going to wake up the next day and start withdrawing. So I know what's coming. And I finally just have that, that truth conversation with myself where I like, fully take ownership and I stop being a victim. And I just remember looking at myself in the mirror. I'm in the car. And I just have that conversation with me in the mirror, me and myself. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like your daughter is six months old and she doesn't know you're a piece of shit. And she's going to know here soon. She's going to be five years old. She's going to be 10 years old. She's going to be 15 years old. And she's going to know you're a piece of shit. Like, is that what your life is going to be? Like, is that the example you're going to set? Is that going to be your your legacy, your impact? So I start having these deep thoughts and I'm just like, no, dude, like I need to make a change. Like this is not okay. So the next day I actually made some calls and I was able to line up another job in Las Vegas. At this time I'm in St. George, Utah. And I knew the only shot for me to get clean, James, is if I could change my environment. Like if I could be in a new city, a new phone, new phone number, new friends, new environment, I could get clean. And I was finally able to make that change. And, and I've been clean since, uh, you know, let's call it November, December, 2009. Wow. Congratulations. That's, that's a really cool story. Do you think that it was absolutely necessary to like make that drastic change, like the changing phone numbers and changing cities and all that stuff? Or do you think you could have done it just by like sheer willpower or something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it, everyone's different, right? Like I know people that have been able to stay in the same city and they got clean. Um, you know, I know people that have stayed in the city, same city, got clean and kept relapsing. I know people that went to rehab, spent tens of thousands of dollars and got clean. And maybe they got clean and stayed clean by living in the same city or moving somewhere else. I mean, I think it's just different for everyone. For me, I tried everything but rehab, right? So like the next step for me to get clean was rehab. So for me, it was, okay, I either go to rehab 
or I changed my scenery. I changed my environment and I changed my environment before. And I was able to see changes when I was 16, 17 years old. Uh, I moved from Oceanside, California to St. George, Utah to finish my high school year. And, and that was a really good change of scenery before changed my environment, got some different results. However, the root of my issues was not solved. So that's why I ended up making more bad decisions when I was 18, 19. So for me, I just went with something I knew could give me a shot. And if it didn't work with the change of scenery, then, you know, I don't know where I'd be today. I probably would have tried to rehab and who knows if that would have worked. But I think there's a lot of different answers to that question. But that was a really good question. Do you consider yourself a conscientious person? Like, are you organized and on time and things like that? Um, You know, I'm intentional. You know, obviously there's going to be situations where things pop up, right? I try to be self-aware of, of what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. I try to audit my time and audit what's working and what's not working. I have my alone time in the morning and I get time to reflect, you know, so I'm definitely, you know, intentional about my conscious and, and what I'm putting in my body and what I'm thinking. And then my life is dictated by a calendar, right? Like you're on my calendar. If you weren't on my calendar, I won't be talking to you. If yeah. it's not on my calendar, I'm probably not going to do it. You know, so I'm, I'm intentional about my, my time and how I structure it. Have you always been like that? No. Um, once I really got serious about entrepreneurship about mm-hmm. three years ago um, is when I started my company, Quest Education. And that's when I knew like I had to put my big boy pants on. Because prior to that, I've always been a you know high performing salesperson and kind of just winging it. Like, you know, just I could wing it and, and just fly by the seat of my pants and, and make things happen. But if I really wanted to level up and, and reach my potential and do things at a high level from a winning standpoint, like I had to be super, super intentional with my time and a lot more structured and have a routine. And I think if you ask, and I know you've probably interviewed a bunch of CEOs, a bunch of entrepreneurs, like they're meticulous with their time. Like Mm -hmm. they're very intentional with their time. and, And that's a common trait. In just about every like business course you take, not school business course, business education is bullshit, but like the courses that you spend $1,200 on or more to like learn from these gurus, the very first video training that you ever get from any of these people is mindset. And the second one is that like time management, because it's something that people with entrepreneurial mentalities really struggle with. Like we're, we're, we're a little bit more on the kind of loopy creative side and not so much on the, on the, Oh, I got to get shit done side. How did you like force yourself to start doing that? Or did you, did did it take force or did it, was it just like a, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this. Yeah, man. So like picture yourself in a cubicle. And you're, you're oh my selling, God. right? Like okay. you, you have a point, you have appointments, right? Like this is before the CRM days, right? Before uh-huh. like, you know, the Google calendar days, maybe it was around, but like it was prevalent and common, right? Sure. So like on the left side of my cubicle, I had a sticky note that said Monday. And then I had Tuesday next to it. And then in the very front of me, it was another you know, wall of the cubicle and it was Wednesday and Thursday. And then on the right side of the cubicle, the other wall was Friday, Saturday. Those were all sticky notes, right? Like that was my freaking calendar. And then I would have a piece of paper with the client's information. My nine o'clock on Monday, I'd grab a, a thumbtack and put it there. Like that was my freaking Google calendar, right? Mm-hmm. And that's obviously, you know, super, super ghetto. Um, but then <laughs> I, just, I just adopted a strategy on, on, on my, my Google calendar. And I saw a couple of people use their Google, Google calendars. And I kind of morphed it and used my own system. The way I work it is like events that have a specific time, like an appointment with you and I, that's on my calendar, five o'clock on a Tuesday. Cool. But as an entrepreneur, we all have those little one-off tasks that need to get done, but maybe it's not a 345 appointment, right? How I use it, the method of my madness is I have 7 a.m. appointments 
on my calendar. So like today, I probably have like eight, 7 a.m. appointments that are tasks that are critical that I need to accomplish today. And it doesn't matter if I get it done tonight at five o'clock or, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And those 7 a.m. tasks, they can change. Like the ones tomorrow are going to be different than the ones next week. But like I keep track of that. It's on my radar. And then that way I hold myself accountable. And then the other aspect of time management is delegation right? Like at some point you have to delegate, like there's only so much you can do on your own. So what are the high priority, high ROI activities that you can handle that you can take care of? And if it takes paying someone else $20 an hour to do ABC, dude, freaking do it because yeah, you're looking at it as it's going to cost you money, but how much more money is it going to cost you if you do that $20 activity? Because your time is probably worth a lot more than $20 Mm -hmm. an hour. So that took some trial and error as well. And letting go of some Uh, control issues in terms of, you know, relinquishing that, that control. Talk a little bit about your business before we get too much into it. What is Quest Education? Yeah. So the main problem that we solve, James, in the market is we help people access money in their retirement accounts, penalty and tax-free. So people with an IRA, a 401k, most of you think this money is out of sight, out of mind. I can't touch it until I'm old and with a bunch of gray hair. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Also, you might also think that the same money, if you do touch it, you're going to pay a bunch of penalties and taxes, right? That's not true either. There are some IRS approved ways that you can access your own money without paying the penalties and taxes and then use that money however you want. Maybe there's a, a business that you want to start that needs some funding to get going so you can quit your nine to five job. Did you know that you could use your retirement account penalty and tax-free to start a business? Um, Maybe you have some high interest rate credit card debt that you want to pay off. You can use your retirement account to pay off that debt. Maybe you want to use some of the money to invest in real estate, crypto, just like investments not tied to the stock market. You could do that too. So basically, it's just pulling back the curtain and helping people understand a lot of financial strategies that your financial advisors and your CPAs are not talking to you about. That's cool. How'd you, how'd you find out about that stuff? Like you don't have a, you don't have a finance education. So. Yeah. So when I got into real estate coaching that I mentioned to you, 18, 19 years old, Uh I'm talking to a lot of real estate people and they start saying things like, Hey, I just used my retirement account to flip a house. I just used my retirement account to buy a rental. I'm like, wait, what? Like I thought a retirement account was to use to buy Costco stock, Apple stock, a mutual fund. Like how, how can you use a retirement account to purchase an alternative asset like real estate, like flipping a property, right? So that's where the term self-directed retirement accounts got planted in me um, years ago. And then I made the shift when I was about 23 years old and and I switched industries. I went from the real estate coaching sales space to the self-directed retirement account space. And surrounded myself with a lot of mentors, a lot of people that you know, had a lot of experience and, and worked my way up. You know, that was, uh, you know, shoot nine years ago. So I've been in the self-directed retirement account space now for a number of years. And, uh, you know, just understanding how these accounts work and, uh, you know, between me and, and the rest of my staff, you know, we've got decades of experience in the financial space. And the cool thing is, is we're not set up to sell investments. So we're not here to pitch insurance or real estate or sell you a stock. We're just here to provide public information knowledge and shine light on this information that, you know, could be a game changer for you. What was the very first thing you did as the founder of Quest Education? Was it what, like, was your product like a course or were you just coaching a couple of people here and there? Or yeah, how did setting, you get started? Up, setting up solo 401ks. So that's the bread and butter. So if you're listening to this right now and you're a solopreneur, you've got some kind of side hustle project business, Maybe you have 1099 income as a realtor or a freelancer. Like if you have some kind of business activity going on, you qualify for a solo 401k. 
even if you're a W-2 employee during the day, but you do social media marketing at night, right? If that's you, then you qualify for a solo 401k. Um, And it's one of the best retirement accounts out there. Everything I mentioned earlier, as far as all that freedom and control that you can have with your own money, that's done through a solo 401k. So basically in the very early stages, it was, you know, getting on the phone and educating people about a solo 401k and, and how it can solve some problems. So in the very beginning, it's, grab the bull by the horn and you're on the phone on the front lines, right? Like as the owner, you're on the front lines, bringing in revenue, you know, generating the sales. But then as you start realizing, okay, I have to hire more people. Like I need to build out our company. I need to work on the business and, 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 and develop the business and grow the business versus spending more time in the business, you know, and, and that's hard to juggle, right? So how did you get your first like leads and clients? You know, so referral partners have been huge for us, you know, so we've got referral partners in the tax and accounting space, the business funding space, you know, e-commerce space. So, you know, one thing that's really helped me over the years, as you can see, I don't come from a, a, a traditional background, especially in the financial space is networking, right? Like, I think it's easy for us to, to forget we're only one relationship away from leveling up. It could be with your health, your relationships, your business, your finances, like one relationship away from breaking through with something, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, networking has been super key, right? Like networking has got me into doors I never would have gotten in, right? So networking has been massive for me and, uh, you know, being able to help us bring in business. So when you were building your business, were you still working in sales as well in your yeah, business? Yeah, like I was still on the phone talking to, to, to customers. Like yeah. I was still pitching, right? And, and that's always uh, a tough challenge, right? Because there's only so much time in the day and there's only so much bandwidth. So how can you focus on, you know, fulfillment, operations, forecasting, the financials, mm-hmm. tracking reports, holding people accountable, the marketing plan, right? And sales, like there's only so much time of the day, right? So if you're spending most of your time on the phone selling, then something has to give. There's other weak points within the business that you're not focusing on. So, you know, that's trial and error. You know, I made a lot of mistakes in in that area as well. So during that time when you were kind of, you know, doing your, doing your main job and then also building your business, what did you do in order to like give your wife or girlfriend or whatever, and your kid the time that they needed from you? Yeah, man, that's that's a, a tough conversation that you have to have, right? That's where expectations come in, right? Like as human beings, we typically only get disappointed when our expectations aren't met, right? So yeah. I've been very, very clear with my wife from the very beginning, like, hey, you're not going to see me a whole lot. And and here's why, right? And, and just keep it real. It's like, hey, our finances are going to take a hit. Right, because I put a bunch of money on zero percent credit cards when I started mm. Quest Education three years ago. Bunch of money from savings into this company, so it's like, hey, our bank account is not going to be sexy for a little bit, right? You're not going to see me as much as you'd like to, but here's why, right? And just really helping her understand, like my vision, my goal, paint the picture, and it's like, hey, are you on board with this? And I don't even have to ask that question because I know she's going to support me, mm. um, and, and that has to be there from the very beginning. And then you know, just like I mentioned on the calendar. I got you on the calendar for this podcast, like date nights are on the calendar for her and I, like we have to have date nights. And and that's something that you have to do. We've been married for a a while now. I've been together for almost 10 years. Like you got to date your wife, even though you've been together for a long time. So, you know, we're not, it's not a perfect relationship, but communication is, is super, super crucial. 
Yeah. I've put date nights on my calendar ever since I started doing this podcast. Cause I, you, you know, you got, you got my little booking link yeah. and I just have to block it off like the, yeah. the 27th of every, of every month. And then, you know, every few weeks in addition, we're going to have to spend like actual scheduled time together. Cause otherwise I'm just going to start booking shit every single night. And yeah. that's no way to build a relationship. My, no. my partner is a trooper and I'm hoping that, you know, one of these days I'll be able to support him financially so that, you know, we can just live off my income yeah. And that's my long-term goal. I don't, and you know, I'm, I'm thankful that he supports me in it, but uh, you know, there's definitely been some sacrifices made there. So, yeah. and you know, and that's, that's us without a kid. Like we've got a dog who's, you know, he's pretty much your kid limits. though, bro. If you're as a dog lover like me, it's your fur baby. You know what yeah, I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. He's sitting here snoring away. I'm sure my microphone's picking it up, but thanks yeah. to Chris for taking that out. So like, who was the first person that you hired as a staff member for your business? Yeah, some combination of sales and hey, we, we need someone to help with the processing, right? Like okay. with the admin side, right? You can't just have sales and not fulfill, right? So yeah. combination of, you know, again, back to networking, back to, hey, let me call some key contacts that, you know, I can trust. I've been in the trenches with for a long time. You know, there's a lot of power in that where you can rely on your team, people that, you know, you've worked with before, make a couple calls. Hey man, this is what I have going on. It's a great opportunity. You know, would love to, to have you on board, you know, so make some of those phone calls, get some sales guys in, and then obviously making sure that, you know, you get someone that's, uh, can help offset the craziness, right? Cause salespeople, especially the really good ones, like they're, really, really good at selling um, and communicating, but you know, they're not the best with processes and structures and systems and efficiency, yeah. right? Like, so you have to have the, the right hand, you know, uh, you know, be able to help with the left hand. So do you have like an ops manager as well? For, oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then she's like the opposite of me, right? You know, <laughs> my CFO is like the opposite of me, like questioning everything. And, and, you know, you have to have, you can't surround yourself with people. And, and I've been guilty of this before surrounding yourself with people that are just like you. You know, like if you just surround yourself with people that are just like you, that think that just like you, you're never going to be challenged. You're never going to have thoughtful disagreement and you should be challenged, right? Just because you get challenged doesn't mean like they're an asshole, right? It's, hey, let me get challenged so then I can make sure that my point is accurate and substantial and I can back it up with facts. Or you know what, dude, I got to change my position here because you're bringing up points I didn't even think of. Right. So like you have to surround yourself with people where there's thoughtful disagreement um, that brings other solutions to just keep keep the machine moving. Yeah, my day job is in the software industry. And prior to this, I worked, you know, just in a normal corporate environment, wherever it doesn't really matter. But I was kind of a big fish in a small pond there. Like I was always the smart guy in the in the room and, you know, I was funny and had great ideas and meetings and stuff like that. And then going into the software industry where freaking everybody's a genius. I mean, even, even like the, the, you know, HR and customer success and all that stuff, they're, they're all just like super smart. It was a real like shock to my system, but I'm really thankful for it. Being around people who challenge me. It, I mean, it's the reason that I started a podcast. It's the reason that I'm actually starting a business and not just talking about it for years on end. It's been a huge blessing just just being around those people. And I can't wait till I'm in a position where I can like hire people who are smarter than me and better than me at, you know, certain things and that kind of thing. Do you have experience being sort of the big fish in the small pond? Did you have to be sort of humbled in order to do that? Or was that something that just came naturally to you? Yeah. When, when I left uh, my gig selling real estate coaching, making six figures, um, I left that gig because I, I saw the ceiling mm -hmm. and it was an industry that I knew I wanted to make a change, right? I wanted to make that change from real estate coaching to the self-directed space. 
And I made that, that change and I had to start from the bottom, right? Like I had to take a huge pay cut. I made like 50% less. Um, and then I had to, I had to go down the food chart, right? Like the pecking order. And, and that's not easy to do, but you can't be entitled and just expect just because you had success somewhere else that you're going to, that's going to translate into another gig, another position. Like you might have a little bit of seniority or maybe some perks because, you know, you've got some unique skill sets mm-hmm. and your employer and your new employer recognizes that, but dude, you still have to earn the respect of your teammates. Like you still have to earn your spot. So definitely been humbled there going from the big fish, making, you know, some of the most money as a high paying uh, employee to, okay, now we don't know who you are. Like, we're going to start you at the bottom and, and you have to be willing to, you know, take that strategic step back and, and be humble. What about friends? Do you have a vibrant social life or is everything work, work, work? Uh, you know, man, I, I, uh, I like to golf on the weekends with, with friends, um, you know, with friends, being an entrepreneur, you can't relate to any, everyone, right? Like you're, you're a freak the way that you think and operate. And, and act and the decisions that you make, not everyone can relate. Right. So, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, the vibration that you put out there. Um, you know, I've got a couple of, of friends that I talked to here and there from, from the, my childhood, but, you know, I don't spend tons of time with them. I spend most of my time actually when I am socializing with other entrepreneurs that, you know, have kind of the same alignment and goals that, that I have. Um, what's cool is I met a lot of them through masterminds, through entrepreneurship groups, or I'm investing a good chunk of money to be in rooms with other high level people. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm meeting some some friends, like, you know, like one of the friends that I golf with a couple times a month, I met him at an event three years ago and uh, we golf a couple times a month and then we go to the gym together, you know, during the week. Right. So like we, we push each other. We, you know, hang out on the weekends sometimes with our wives. Right. So like, I, I'm very cautious of what I put in my mind, right? Like our mind is a sponge and, and I want to hang out with people that are talking about their goals and what they want to do and, and less gossip and, and less talking about politic bullshit, right? Because, you know, it is what it is. Like we live in a crazy time, but I, I want to focus yeah. on, you know, winning and, uh, you know, helping people and developing quality relationships. And uh, it comes down to the people. Did you have to force yourself to get along with people like that? Or did it just, you realize that you like, you like these go-getter types? You know, it's a numbers game, man. Like think about how many times you've shaken hands with somebody or had a conversation with somebody. And that was the last interaction you had. Yeah. Like, you know, when you meet someone, you're like, dude, like he's got some good vibes. She's got some good vibes. Like I like her energy. And then a, a solid relationship should happen organically. It shouldn't happen where you're forcing it or you're expecting something like, Hey, what can you do for me? Right. Like that shit happens organically. And to me, I actually made a post about this recently, like relationships are a currency. It's to me, it's more valuable than crypto. It's more valuable than real, uh, real estate. Relationships are so, so valuable. And if you invest into putting yourself out there and meeting new people, it's just a numbers game. Eventually you're going to come across someone where they align with what you're looking for in terms of the kind of vibration, the kind of people you want to be around with. And they're looking for someone that's similar and you guys just organically hit it off and you know, it, it makes sense to keep chilling. Can you kind of just describe what a mastermind is? It's a cult. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, it's, uh, you know, it's usually, it's typically there's going to be someone that forms the mastermind with the intention of, you know what, I I have a good network of people and I want to bring them together 
And I want these people to grow together and refer each other business and do life together. You know, like one of the masterminds, uh, it's, it's by a buddy of mine named Ryan Stuman. It's out in Dallas, Texas. I'm actually going there tomorrow. Once a month, I go to Dallas. I'm going to be in the same room with like 80 other people. They do the same thing. They leave Pittsburgh. They leave Seattle. They leave Florida. And we fly into Dallas. I'm leaving Vegas tomorrow. And we make a commitment to come in once a month. Typically, there's going to be a, a topic, a speech, someone talking about social media marketing, personal branding, hiring, culture building, like just a relevant topic that a lot of people can get value from. And then we just network and we shoot the shit and we find ways that we can help each other. And, you know, you just get vulnerable, right? Like there's been times I'll come in there where I'm like, dude, like my marketing strategy sucks. Like last week, last month was a crap month for lead flow. Like, and it's like, okay, well, what are you doing? Like, let's look at your funnels. Like, what's your strategy? What's your approach, right? Like, and you're just vulnerable and just like, hey, I don't know everything. Let me see if I can, you know, get some feedback. And then also you're giving back, right? Like you meet someone in the mastermind and, and they need some help with something or they need an introduction. It's like, okay, cool. Let me help you out with this, right? So again, you go there with no expectations. The only expectations I go in there with is... Let me grow my network and establish some quality relationships. And then I come back away every month just being a better person, being a better father, a better husband, better leader, better boss, you know? Nice. Like, do you leave it feeling like refreshed and just like almost like spiritually uplifted? Yeah, I mean, it, it's to me, it's it's a shot of energy. It's a shot mm-hmm. of motivation. It's a shot of good vibration. Just like anything, though, how many of us have left an event, felt really good, took a bunch of notes, and then didn't do anything, right? Like, right. I've been guilty of that. Like, That's it my all comes down thing. to the action. Like, being like, so what I try to do is I try to take away one thing from every event, like just one thing I can take away. And then I just focus on implementing that one thing as fast as I can, as much as I can. And I just focus on that one thing. And then when I go to, to another event, all right, cool. Like what's one thing I can take away. And that one thing I take away, it could be a speaker. It could be someone I talk to in the hall at the bar. Like just what's that one thing. And that one thing, again, it could be a really big, you know, um, be a big game changer for you. So when someone starts a mastermind, do they do it with the intention of like profiting off of it? Or is it just like someone says, hey, we're all friends. Why don't we get together and talk business in person? You know, I would imagine, you know, there's going to be that that mindset of, okay, how is this going to be profitable, right? Because yeah. it's not a nonprofit, right? Like sure. there's expenses, the venue, you know, the food, you know, the speaker that they have to pay, right? So like there has to be some profit in it. But I know for the masterminds I've been in, it's about impact and and building a brand and connecting people, right? And, and and having that fulfillment, right? Because, you know, when you help help somebody and you make, you know, a change in someone's life and, and you impact them, you know, that's, that's far more rewarding than money. But obviously there's got to be some profit in the picture to, to keep it sustainable. Do you recommend masterminds for beginners or is it more for people who are established? Um, I, it's a great question. I'll answer it with some bias. I wish I would have invested money into that masterminds a lot sooner in my life. I didn't invest into a mastermind until I was about 28, uh, 20, actually 29 years old. I'm 32. So three years ago is when I invested into my first mastermind. And and I wish I would have invested in the mastermind sooner because it would have helped me acquire more wisdom and experience and knowledge. Um, So I, I really, I recommend it for 
anyone, right? And it doesn't have to be like a mastermind. To me, like people probably think a mastermind is only for like like a social media mastermind. Like let's learn how to, you know, post on social media. Like a mastermind is just bringing a group of like-minded people together, right? Like my mom just joined a, a hiking group for people that are over, I think 60 years old here in Las Vegas. That's a freaking mastermind, right? Like it's people that want to get together, be in nature, be outdoors and go on a cool ass hike. They're not, you know, selling a course or pitching you on, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, setting up a funnel, but like, it's a group of people coming together that are like-minded and you come away with more relationships and you start talking about life and doing better and just being a a better individual and winning in life, you know? So I recommend them for everyone. And I was That's so cool. I've got a coach and I've got a mentor, but I don't have a mastermind and I kind of want one because I do, I do pretty well in group environments like that. Uh, How do you find one? You know, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, for me, again, one relationship, you know, I got introduced to Grant Cardone because of Grant Cardone. I heard Ed Milet and Andy Frisella speak at his event. I was like, dude, these guys are dope. I listened to their podcast for a couple of months and then they brought up what's called Arate. Arate is a mastermind. I was like, Dude, I'm in. Like, if Andy Priscilla and Ed My Letter are in this mastermind, I'm in. So I sign up for that mastermind. I meet someone inside that mastermind that introduces me to Ryan Stuman, and then Ryan Stuman is is someone that I've been in his mastermind. That was the one I was describing to you, where I'm going to Texas tomorrow. So, you know, it, it's to me a lot of it can come from groups on Facebook. Like, it doesn't have to be like a specific group on Facebook, but like, go find a group on Facebook that has some commonalities with what you're looking for, kind of the same industry. And you'll hear people talk about certain masterminds and certain groups and things like that. I always just tell people like, dude, trust, but verify, like whoever is the leader of that mastermind, like you want to be able to, you know, take things for, okay, let me talk to other people that have been in the mastermind. Like, let me get some, some feedback from them. Number one, you know, and you probably did the same thing, James, like the people that you have coached that mentor you, the question you always should ask is like, do they have what I want, right? Are they levels and levels and levels ahead of me, right? And can they back it up? Like, is there credibility? Is there proof in the pudding? You know, is is there a bunch of complaints? Are people pissed off, right? So you definitely want to do your research and just not hand over money. But, you know, I've, I've invested tens of thousands of dollars, you know, into masterminds each and every single year. And it's just such a great... ROI, tax write-off, but you know, it's, it's helping me become a better person on a personal and a business level. Cool, man. All right. Well, is there anything else that you would like to, you'd like to impart upon the audience before we get going? Yeah. People can head over to danielblue.me. Uh, that's my personal website. Uh, it's got a link to my book. Um, hit bestseller on Amazon. Like I mentioned earlier, that was a pretty cool feeling, pretty surreal. Never thought that would happen. Um, so what I've talked to you about accessing your retirement account penalty and tax-free you know, setting up an account that can help you make tax-free money. My book is super simple, easy, tactical to read. Awesome. Um, so you can, you can pick it up. It's pretty cheap, pretty cheap and uh, packed with tons of value. Uh, it's got all my social media handles on there. Uh, link to my podcast, How Winners Win. Got a bunch of free content on that website. So you, you know the game, James. Like if you yeah. want to really help people, like you have to give them a bunch of free stuff and, and mm-hmm. leave with value. And if they can become to like you, trust you and, and know you, um, then, you know, you guys can always reach out to me if you have questions. I'm, I'm pretty responsive on DMs and uh, want to be able to help as many people as I can because, uh, you know, that, that's what it's about in this world. All right. Awesome. Can you plug the title of your book one more time? Yeah, it's uh, Blueprint to Your Best Retirement. And uh, again, my name is Daniel Blue. Blue like the color. That is my oh. real last name. It's not a name. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> yeah. so it's Daniel Blue.me, B-L-U-E. Uh, Daniel Blue.me is 
uh, where you can find all the information about me. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Daniel. I will let you go and have a great trip to Dallas. Hey, thanks, buddy. See ya. All right. Thanks again to Daniel for joining me today. And thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. I really appreciate all of my listeners, and I especially appreciate my premium listeners. You can become a premium subscriber to Blackbird by heading to blackbirdpodcast.com and signing up for one of the paid options. It's only $7 a month or $70 a year, which gets you two free months. Of course, I am giving away 30 free days of the premium membership to Blackbird, in addition to entering you in a drawing to win a free lifetime master membership to Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Head to woods.blackbirdpodcast.com to sign up today, or just click the link on the very top post at blackbirdpodcast.com. It'll take you to the same place. I look forward to seeing your name in the drawing, and I hope that you are a winner. And with that, this is another episode of Blackbird in the Can. Until the next episode, live free.